Hey, Mike here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Dark Poutine early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. You're about to listen to a historical episode of Dark Poutine. After episode 149, you will find Scott is no longer with the show. In an effort to maintain continuity and offer listeners as many episodes as possible, we are leaving the episodes in which he co-hosted intact. Thank you. Welcome to Dark Poutine. I'm Mike Brown, creator and host. With me as usual is my good friend and co-host, Scott Hemingway. Hello, Yumber Yaks. Hello, Yumber Jacks. The views, information, and opinions expressed during the Dark Poutine podcast are solely those of the producer and do not necessarily represent those of Curious Cast, its affiliate, Global News, nor their parent company, Chorus Entertainment. Dark Poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish. Listener discretion is strongly advised. We're not experts on the topics we present, nor are we journalists. We're two ordinary Canadians chatting about crime and the dark side of history. Let's get to it. Put on your toque, grab yourself a double-double and an Nanaimo bar. It's time to scarf down some dark poutine. Look at that. It's episode 62 and our first away game in yeah. quite a while. And what a doozy. This is some, I've always, this is one that I'm always fascinated by. Yeah, I know you've been looking forward to it. Yeah. Actually, I wrote it in the script yes. that Scott has been looking forward to this topic. Yeah, it's just, it's uh, it, it's like, um, it's just crazy. I, I, I don't want to say things to spoil what's to come, yeah. but it's, it's just, it's like a movie. It literally was like a movie playing out live on TV. Uh, we're going back 22 years to Los Angeles, California, on the morning of February 28th, 1997. Mm. And this was one of the toughest days that LAPD officers have had to face in their storied history. And there have been many tough days for them. Yep, yep, and it all played out live on TV for everybody to see. Yeah, this is the story of the North Hollywood shootout. On February 28, 1997, two men drove to North Hollywood, California in a Chevrolet Celebrity. They had recently spray-painted the car from blue to white. After months of planning, it was finally go time. Their target was Branch 384 of the Bank of America at 6600 Laurel Canyon Boulevard. They parked in the north parking lot beside the bank. The two popped a couple of the larger man's epilepsy pills, phenobarbital, a powerful muscle relaxant and anticonvulsant. They wanted to keep their cool while going about their intensely violent business. They exited the car, each with a Chinese AK-47 knockoff, Norinco-type 56 Sporter semi-automatic rifle 
Each had been converted to fire automatically, making it a submachine gun. Each man's weapon had a drum magazine of 75 to 100 armor-piercing 7.62mm shells. Both men also wore ammunition belts that had hundreds of other rounds and other drum magazines. The smaller man also had a 9mm Beretta, model 92FS semi-automatic pistol and extra clips. The two looked menacing, dressed in heavily armored black tactical gear, wearing ski masks and black sunglasses to hide their identities. The men each had a watch sewn into the rear of their tactical gloves. Before exiting the car, they had synchronized their watches, setting an eight-minute alarm. Their reconnaissance had told them eight minutes would be ample time to get in and out before the cops showed up. At the ATM outside the bank, depositing $85 with 32-year-old Armin Iskadarian. Armin was forced inside the bank at gunpoint by the smaller man with the pistol and thrown to the floor on his face violently. It was now 9.17. Once inside the bank, the large man yelled, Everybody down! Motherfucker, get down before I kill your ass! Interspersed with intimidating automatic gunfire into the walls and ceiling. The smaller of the men yelled, This is a fucking holdup. Everyone down, motherfuckers. Everyone dropped, terrified of being shot. Mildred Nolte, 79, was a bit slower getting down, and the larger of the two bandits backhanded her across the face. This sent her glasses flying and knocked off her headscarf. She fell to the ground. What the two robbers didn't know is that they were spotted by an LAPD black and white as they exited the car and entered the bank. Officers Farrell and Perello were parked, set up on the south side of the bank's entrance, watching and calling for assistance. They knew that they were no match for the two heavily armed men who were now firing randomly. The next 44 minutes would prove to be a true test of what LAPD officers were made of. See what I'm talking about? Just like in a movie. It reminds me of the beginning of The Dark Knight. But yeah, just just insane. Insane to think that this is real life. Like coming in and shooting and stuff, that's not very inconspicuous. No. Here's some audio of officers Farrell and Perello calling for assistance upon seeing the armed men enter the bank. pretty intense. Yeah, you can hear the uh, how quickly it escalates in the officer's tone. Especially the one in the back yelling shots fired, yeah, shots yeah. fired. Yeah, that whoo. Yeah. Intense. 
As officers arrived, they began to block off traffic on Laurel Canyon Road. Knowing that they had two men inside the bank who'd already discharged their fully automatic weapons multiple times, police didn't want to take any chances. Which I... I... I struggle with the rationale of the robbers because they don't know the officers are outside yet. So, like, why start shooting? Like, that? you would just think that's going to gain attention. Like, it's not very... Well, it's effective, though. It's effective in controlling the, the people, not necessarily effective in a successful getaway. Right. Back inside the bank, things were not going as quickly as the bad guys had hoped. There were new security procedures in place. Multiple lockboxes held smaller amounts of money with the hope of slowing robberies, and that tactic was working well, frustrating the two men. Mm, a smart tactic, yeah. The larger of the two robbers had the assistant manager in the vault slowly opening the boxes and putting the contents into a black duffel bag. The assistant manager had been butt-ended in the head with a wooden stock of the AK-47 that the large man was carrying. Yeah, I would imagine that stings. The smaller man was controlling things in the lobby, yelling, stay down, don't look at us, and pointing his weapon at anyone who moved. That'd be terrifying. As well, the bank had randomly moved the times of its cash deliveries also to thwart bank robbers. There was not nearly as much in the branch as the bad guys had planned on. They were hoping for around $700,000. Mm-hmm. However, there was 303000 $305 in the duffel bag that was carried by the larger man. Still a good chunk of change. Could buy a few mics with that. Some of it might not be useful, though. In his haste to get the cash, the bandit did not see the assistant manager slip in three blue dye packs of fake bills with the real cash. <laughs> the dye packs would explode in the bag six feet from the door of the bank, making some of it useless, just stained paper. Yep, yeah. More cops were on scene by this time. Farrell and Perello, the initial responders, are to the south. Officers Haynes and Whitfield are to the north. Brentlinger is northeast, and Zaborvan, Guy, Angelus, and Krulak are set up almost directly across the street from the main door of the bank behind a flimsy key-cutting kiosk. Oh, yeah, not very uh, safe. A stream of LAPD officers were responding to the officer who needs help call Code 3 license sirens from all over the city. From the outset, everyone knew this was no ordinary bank robbery. Well, yeah, the whole going in shooting. That's usually not the way these go down. As the larger man was now rounding everyone up to go into the vault, the smaller man began looking to the door. It was soon time to escape. There was no traffic moving at all on the usually busy Laurel Canyon Road. This had to have set off some alarm bells with the two. Mm-hmm. No kidding. At 9.24... After seven minutes in the bank, the smaller of the two men charged out of the inside door of the bank into the ATM lobby. Mm. Turning to his right, the man quickly spotted a police cruiser parked in the middle of the intersection just over 200 feet away. He raised his rifle and began spraying 7.62 millimeter bullets at the officers who barely had time to duck behind their cars. Bullets ripped the police cruiser to shreds, sending bits of glass, metal, and plastic everywhere. How terrifying must that have been for the officer? Because it's, like, it's just escalating so quickly. A guy just comes out and starts shooting. Yep. Like, holy Christ, barely any time to react. Like, no time to react yeah. at all. In this next piece of audio, 
The terror can be heard in some of the police officers' voices as they scramble for cover and call for SWAT assistance. Mm. LAPD helicopter air support was already there, but they couldn't get in close as the suspect pointed his weapon and fired at them more than once. Wow. They also had to dodge the now-arriving news helicopters all in the air for the morning rush, but monitoring their scanners they heard about the bank robbery. Yeah, yeah. Two LAPD officers and three civilians were injured in that initial barrage. Here's the audio. All units, I now ignite advises large shots fired, 500 block of Lower Canyon. Requesting help, all units, officers requesting help, Lower Canyon, North of Kittredge, at the Bank of America, shots are being fired. 15 L20, advise the air unit to get some altitude, suspect has an automatic weapon. Air unit, keep your altitude, shots are being fired. Off, correction, suspects are armed with automatic weapons. SWAT was on the way. They needed a safe location for a command post. Sweet sassy Malassi, that's intense. That, the, the, the sound of the machine gun fire shit. and then someone being hit. Yeah, and the the, the sheer panic, fear in, in their voice. Yeah. Like, wow. At this time, I mean, cops were armed with only their 9mm pistols, so. Yeah, and you, you're not you're not expecting to arrive at a bank robbery and somebody comes out guns ablaze With this level of violence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sergeant Larry Haynes, 41, had been struck in the shoulder by a bullet fragment. Officer Martin Whitfield was hit by flying glass and shrapnel. Tracy Fisher, a civilian who'd stumbled into the area just as the robbery started, took a bullet in the foot. Ooh, poor her. Barry Golding and his co-worker Mike Horn were in the area to buy breakfast on the way to work. They were with Fisher when she was hit. Golding was hit by bullet fragments in both hands and legs, and Mike Horn was shot six times very seriously in the side. Holy, could you imagine saying, like, telling, yeah, I got shot six times with an AK-47? Yeah. Wow. Horn was bleeding profusely from his wounds. Yeah. From an article from Jim Skeen, staff writer at the Daily News, Golding said, We kept talking with each other and reassuring each other. Both of us, Fisher and Golding, concentrated on Mike. We kept saying, hang on, Mikey. Oh, seriously. Six times. Being shot six times with an AK-47 and mm -hmm. still alive. Wow. Yeah. Wow. In the meantime, the smaller suspect had edged further outside into an alcove 
where he was continuing to spray the pinned down cops and civilians. One officer, James Zaborovan, 26, just six weeks out of the police academy, managed to flank the shooter. Oh, wow. He racked his shotgun and aimed at the side of the shooter who was across the street just over 200 feet away. And 200 feet is quite a distance for Mm -hmm. a shotgun. Yeah. He fired one round and then racked his gun and fired again immediately. At least eight of the 18 double-aught buck pellets, all the size of a round from a thirty-two caliber pistol, found their mark and hit the shooter. But only one made it through the man's armor, burying itself in his buttock. Holy shit. Wow. That's, uh, yeah, shotguns are not long-range weapons. No. But he still ate buckshot. Yeah. And one in the buttocks. The man simply staggered briefly and then turned towards the Borovan and began firing as Zaborovan dove back into cover behind the key shack. Officer Zaborovan noticed the two detectives with him were not wearing vests, so he covered them with his body. Damn. Zaborovan was shot moments later, twice in the back and in the hip and thigh. Zaborovan crawled to cover at the strip mall across from the bank and was tended to by a local dentist and his wife. They'd been taking cover nearby. This gets thrown out a lot, but that dude's a hero protecting his other uh, officers. Oh, for sure. Wow. It's, and lucky that this dentist was nearby to at least, you know, dent, him, dentists yeah. have a bit of medical school, right? For sure. So. Yeah, yeah. They they de- absolutely going to be able to do some, some uh, triage. The smaller bandit had been in and out of the bank since the fracas began, presumably to reload. In four minutes, the man had fired as many as 400 rounds. Police were firing back, but their 9mm pistol seemed to have little to no effect on the shooter, whose weapon spat out bullet after bullet. Mm-hmm. Police cruiser radiators were hissing and spewing coolant all over the street, as though bleeding themselves. Interesting. Glass and debris were everywhere. The rattling sound of automatic gunfire shattering the normally peaceful Los Angeles morning. It's as close to a war zone as you're going to get in the middle of L.A. Hey, can you imagine you're... Uh, you're just waking up and your your dog wants to go for a walk and you hear that. Well, like those two fellas going for breakfast. Yeah. Before work. You're like, you just, it's LA. You're going for breakfast. Yeah. You, you, you're, this is not something you, you're expecting to have happen. No, definitely not. Now both men were in the ATM lobby with their duffel bag filled with cash and extra ammunition. The two now exchanged firing positions, giving the police undercover a steady stream of hot 7.62 millimeter rounds streaking across a 128-degree arc from the bank. Officer Stuart Guy, huddled behind a white Dodge Caravan, took a bullet in the right thigh, ripping off a large chunk of flesh as it went through. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, AKs are known for their, uh, the damage they And will penetration, do. yeah. Yeah, and it's, uh, you th- I think you said these were armor-piercing as well? So, mm-hmm. like, holy crap. Fourteen minutes since it had begun, the two men were now making their way to their vehicle near the north parking lot of the bu- the building. This was only 50 feet away, but it was really slow going. I bet. The smaller man had the duffel bag of cash over his shoulder, and the larger man laid down suppressing fire from the ATM alcove as he moved. Mm. Things got even more complicated as ground media began to descend on the area. Oh, not a smart move, fellas. No, it's like, so Folks. reporters, you yeah. know, they're hearing about this. They want to get in there and start uh, reporting. I, I, I get that this would be a very hot thing to cover, and yeah. I appreciated the live footage, but not the smartest thing. No. An active uh, gunfight. Well, not the safest decision, that's for no, sure. No, yeah, definitely not a safe thing to do. 
As the smaller gunmen approached firing, police took cover uh, or ran to give more distance between themselves and the heavily armed shooter who was wearing body armor from head to toe. Police 9mm pistols looked like pea shooters at this point. Yeah. Almost 275 feet away, Officer Marin Whitfield from the Van Nuys Precinct was felled by a bullet through his femur. Yikes. Unable to move any further, he holed up behind a tree. You can hear from this audio that confusion ruled the day and none of the officers knew how many of their fellows were hit. We need help out here with the officers down. Yes, you better get an attack alert here. Any unit know how many officers are down? We have one. More than one, more than one. There's more than one officer down. Squad is being notified to airlift. 5990, roger. Go for it. Get attack alert going. I've been hit. 
The larger man was firing out of the car intermittently, and we presume he was in there planning to get out, but the car didn't seem to want to go. You don't, yeah, I wonder if that has anything to do with bullets. Right. But, but and it's crazy. You think about it 12 full minutes of AK 47 fire yep. in a residential area in LA, and to this point, nobody. Nobody is dead. dead. Yeah. Like, what are the. Oh, wow. More cops streamed into the area as the smaller man fired on them. Officer Conrado Torres got close, but was grazed in the neck by a round, and he backed off. Ooh, wow. The armored car arrived and began picking up the injured officers. The smaller man retrieved another weapon, a Heckler & Koch 91 modified to fully automatic, throwing the Chinese knockoff AK-47 he'd been using into the trunk. I'm not sure what a Heckler & Koch 91 is. That a it's a, rifle it's, another, or it's another rifle. Okay. Another uh, semi-automatic Semi rifle okay. converted to machine gun. Yeah. With the smaller man walking slowly beside the car, it began to move. The trunk was still open, and they were heading out of the rear of the parking lot. The smaller man was firing as the car moved, running on ahead a little bit. Cops went to a local gun store and demanded they open early. They needed more firepower. They retrieved more shotguns and some AR-15s. Yeah, I remember I remember so much of this footage. The guy walking in, you know, one fellow walking in front of the vehicle and just like it's so intense. Here's some more communication from the clearly frustrated officers about their being unable to subdue the robbers. Somebody has a shot. Take it. Suspect head. One suspect is walking east of the bank. 15 out 10 advises someone has a shot. Take it. Go for the head. Woo! Go for the head. Woo! Man! Yeah. This is not chatter you usually hear in scanners. No. And you could he hear uh, when that cop said, go for the head, that was something that he'd probably not said a lot of times in oh, his career. Oh, no. no, no, I would imagine not, if ever. Just, uh, A lot of officers never have to fire their, their weapons, let alone go for the head. The smaller man ran ahead providing covering fire and took up a position at the rear tire of a tractor trailer parked nearby. More police communications indicated the suspects might be more lightly armored in the legs, so cops started firing at their lower bodies. Good, good call. More officers go down as the car moves down the road. The smaller man walked along the sidewalk, firing at anything that moved, even the air unit. Yeah. SWAT arrived on scene and began moving toward the shooters. Officers were advised not to try and take the suspects down. This was to be SWAT's job from that point. So not, not to even fire at them? Not to confront them, not to be close to them. They yeah. can continue to fire at them, but... Yeah, yeah, and I would imagine at this point, you're not thinking, let's see if we can take them in. No. No, it did, yeah, it's... But some might be arriving on scene and not understanding what's happening quite, yeah, quite yeah. yet. No, good point. As the car drove slowly, the smaller man walked down Archwood eastward to the right of the car. LAPD had their hands full trying not to get shot, but as I mentioned, media outlets had been able to get much too close. Yeah, yeah. Here's some audio of Telemundo reporting from within range of fire at the Hughes Market parking lot nearby. In this moment, the police are changing balls. In this moment, the police are changing balls with the presumptuous assaultants. Vi que no sabemos el número de heridos hasta el momento, pero ya se sabe de varias, varias personas caídas. En este momento la policía está interca... 
En este momento la policía está intercambiando balazos con los presuntos eh, asaltantes de este banco y no se sabe hasta el momento cuántas personas están heridas dentro del banco. So few things. Well, one is they could, should be called tell us stupid. Well, you see, so you hear the ping of a, a ricochet. Yeah, going well, those by. were my like when you when you hear gunfire and a ping, and like holy shit, that was that something you that... were lucky. Yeah. Uh, but I can also, uh, for the sake of true journalism, I you know, like, and I respect a lot of conflict photographers and, and journalists. I can get wanting to rush towards the story for journalistic sake, but I suspect that the vast majority was just about we got to be the first to air. We got to get the story. Come on, like you know, as, a, yeah. as opposed to like let's let's tell a story here. Yeah. SWAT was engaging the man on foot with their high-powered weapons. According to the NorthHollywoodShootout.com archived site, the smaller bank robber took two critical wounds, both within inches of each other, one of which would have proved fatal. The first round struck the man in the right shoulder, although the autopsy report could not ascertain from which direction the round came. A study of the video shows he was hit from behind. Oh, okay. The wound clipped the edge of the shoulder strap of his vest, and punched clean through his trapezius muscle. Ooh, ow. The second round that struck him may be an inch or two lower than the first, broke his right collarbone, then completely severed his subclavian artery before fracturing his shoulder blade and coming to rest within the tissues of his back muscles. This is the wound that would have proved fatal within 30 minutes. I'm not a doctor, but that doesn't sound comfortable. Slowed, the man continued firing back. Holy shit. His gun jammed. This is when he pulled out his pistol and engaged officers coming around a corner of a nearby intersection on foot just to the east. My God. They fired at each other in an old west-looking pistol battle before the smaller robber retreated a few feet down the way he'd come. He stopped, raised his pistol under his chin, and pulled the trigger. <sighs> at the exact same moment, a sniper's bullet severed his spine. Holy shit. The smaller man went down dead. Wow. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just mind-blowing. I mean, you would think another option would be to just lie down and give up and get some medical help. But yeah. no, no. Let's go out guns a-blazing. Yeah, yeah. They, they must have had some kind of pact ahead of time. But Who uh, knows? Yeah. After wounded officer Conrado Torres unloaded a, a full clip of his 9mm into the Chevrolet celebrity that the larger man was driving, he was panicked and drove off up the street. The car, clearly wounded itself, was not moving quickly yeah. at all. Yeah. Well, that's what I was saying. Like, you can't think it's a quick getaway. Somehow, the street was not locked down, and civilian cars drove toward the white celebrity. What the fuck? The celebrity swerved to hit civilian vehicles, possibly in an effort to acquire a more reliable car. Yeah. More shots were fired on police and civilians. People were just scattering everywhere. I would imagine. The large man got out of the car and began firing on a brown Jeep. The driver of the truck, whose name was Bill Maher, but not the famous Bill Maher, fled, leaving his vehicle behind. Maher had been shot three times, hit in the arm head and across the bridge of his nose what the his head yeah and he's still like he got he it could was, have been bullet fragments in there yeah but i know still. but still uh anything that had to do with a bullet from from a, a firearm in the noggin yeah it, like and you're still able to like consciously get out of a vehicle wow the large man got back in his car and pulled the celebrity up beside the abandoned truck 
It looked as though he was trying to commandeer it as he began transferring things from the celebrity to the truck. Yeah, I remember footage. The large man got into the truck, and at this point, a cop car sped up head-on to the Jeep containing heavily armed SWAT officers. The large man exited the truck and retreated to the rear of the truck and the front of the celebrity pointed the other way. This was his okay corral. Yeah, no kidding. Here he would have his final shootout with police. He fired blindly through the vehicles and underneath. The cops were doing the same thing, but they could see him. Yeah. So they were firing at his legs and feet underneath the, the vehicles. This is just all so intense. Well, here's some more audio from those last few moments. Be advised, the suspect is prone out. He may be shooting underneath the vehicle towards officers. The suspect is prone out and possibly shooting at the officers from under the vehicle on Archwood between Radford and Hines. Hey guys, let's close off the square block area. Don't let any traffic through. Now, 40, be advised, any units we have here are un unusable. The black and whites are all blown up. All the black and whites at the location are unusable. They have shots fired. The large man stopped firing, and the cops moved in, firing as they came. One suspect on Archwood is in custody. Just over 43 minutes had passed as they took the large man into custody, and it was clear that he'd been shot many times. Yes. Waiting for a rescue ambulance, the large man was questioned. From a Los Angeles Daily News article by staff writer Jackson Van Derbiken, What's your name? an officer asked. According to an account provided by investigators, police sources said, the man asked to be rolled over. One cop said, What's your name? Pete, replied the 283-pound, six-foot man, clad in bulletproof armor. Okay, Pete. The officer said, how many other guys are we looking for? How many more are there? Bleeding from at least 29 wounds to his legs, buttocks, arms, fingers, the man looked up at the officer and sneered, fuck you, shoot me in the head. My lord. The man would repeat the same request over the next hour until he expired due to bleeding from a wound in his thigh. It was over. After the break, let's find out who these guys were. Yes, please. And we're back. Whew. From the Associated Press. When the shooting stopped, two robbers were dead, and at least six bystanders and 11 police officers were wounded by gunfire. One other officer and one civilian were injured in a related car wreck. Our two bad guys had fired more than 1,200 rounds, and cops had fired over 700. Wow. Both men were found to be wearing over 40 pounds of armored body armor, as well as bulletproof vests, groin guards, and metal trauma plates. It's insane how prepared these guys were. Yep. Like, you like you have to think. They're not thinking this is going to go well if you're... But, well, I, don't, I don't know. <sighs> yeah. The smaller of the two men and supposed leader was named Larry Eugene Phillips Jr. He was 26 years old on the day of the holdup. Hmm. He's younger than I thought. Larry was born on September 20th, 1970, under an assumed name, as his father was wanted by police for escaping a Colorado State Hospital the year before. Throughout his childhood, Larry Phillips Jr. saw his father arrested numerous times, even by the FBI. Jeez. He began to develop a strong hatred of authority, in particular police. Mm -hmm. Phillips dropped out of school in grade 9 and was married a year later. 
What? How old would that be? Grade, grade nine. 15, 16. Jeez. He became obsessed with working out at Gold's Gym and also becoming rich. One of his obsessions was Vietnamese immigrant and poker player Tom or Tommy Vu's get rich real estate scams. Oh man, if you you couldn't you be remember, alive, yeah, you, you remember those from yeah. the eighties and nineties. Yeah, you couldn't be you couldn't be uh, alive in the eighties and nineties and not know who Tom Vu was. Tom Vu would surround himself with bikini clad yeah. girls, expensive cars, boats, and huge estates. Yep, yeah, and uh, yeah, uh, you would see many of his infomercials at usually one a.m. to three a.m. Yep. <laughs> You, please tell me we've got some audio of Mr. Vu himself. Well, guess what? Here's, what? here's some actual audio from a, yes. the intro to a Tom Vu seminar, oh, video I'm, seminar. I'm going to have deja vu here. He's an interesting cat. Filthy rich. Is the next millionaire going to be you? I started with nothing, and I found a way to make a fortune in real estate. I've been showing thousands of people across America how to do this. There you go. That's, uh, that's a little bit from old Tom Vu. Yes, Tommy. I do want to be a millionaire. I mean, how could you not like that guy? He's so enthusiastic. <laughs> not becoming the next Arnie or Lou Ferrigno fast enough, Phillips began to follow his father's career path. Eesh. Becoming a criminal. Yep. He was caught stealing $400 worth of suits from Sears in 1989. Mm, I don't know if Sears is really where you want to be stealing <laughs> suits, but whatever. That year, he met Desabel Stefan Emilian Masterino at the gym. Okay. Emil. Yeah. <laughs> who we'll call him. Yes, please. Yeah. <laughs> or Emil. Okay, sure. Emil. 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 I think okay. Emil. 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 We'll, we'll call him Emil. Emil. Uh, would grow to become Philip's partner in crime and would be the second man in the North Hollywood shootout. Uh, okay. All right. After a real estate scam in 1992 that saw Larry staring at the possibility of a very long prison sentence, he went into hiding at Mazzarino's house. Oh. Planning a series of robberies. I don't think that was covered in Tom Vu's uh, uh, infomercials, was it? Never his no, book? Become no. a bank robber. Yeah, I don't think. I mean, I never read it, so. Emil Mazzarino was born in Romania on July 19, 1966. He'd been 30 on the day of the shootout. Okay. So 26 and 30, still both younger than I thought. Emil was heavy, always larger than the other kids. He had lots of headaches, mostly due to his epilepsy. Mm. His family moved to the U.S., specifically Los Angeles, in 1974. Emil was bullied for being large and the fact that he had a heavy Eastern European accent. Well, no matter who he became later in life, that's not cool. He became interested in computers and would later attend DeVry Institute of Technology. Oh. His parents divorced and Emil became angrier and angrier. He hated that his dad nagged him about school. Hmm. He was sometimes violent and is seen waving a chainsaw at his neighbor after their dog pooped on the lawn. That, okay, sure, that's one way to handle it. Yeah, just say, hey, please, let's not have that happen again. No, 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 cut straight the chainsaw. As mentioned, he met Larry Phillips in 1989 and the two became friends over their love of bodybuilding. It's like how me and Mike met. <laughs> Bodybuilding. Yeah, our love of bodybuilding. Yeah. Being skinny fat. Yeah. Emil met his wife on a trip to Romania in 1993, and they were married and had a son. Well, that's nice. The two pulled their first heist in Littleton, Colorado on July 20th, 1993. Mm. There, they successfully robbed an armored car. No one was injured. Well, that's a, okay. good. Good, that's good. It's good that no one was injured. Good that no one was injured, It's yes. not good that they're 
starting uh, to rob armored cars. No, no. On October 23rd, 1993, the pair were pulled over in a rented car for speeding. Both had 9mm Glock 17 pistols on them. Okay. What the cops found in the car is what set off the alarm bells. Oh, boy. They found a Polytechnic semi-automatic rifle with a folding stock that belonged to Matsurinu, an Orinco MAK-90 semi-automatic rifle with a wooden stock that belonged to Phillips, a Springfield Armory 45 pistol belonging to Phillips, a Colt 45 belonging to Matsurinu, 1,649 rounds of 7.62 times 39 millimeter ammunition, most of them loaded into 30-round magazines, three Chinese-made 75-round drum magazines loaded with 7.62 ammo, 967 rounds of 9 millimeter JHP ammo, 357 rounds of 45 JHP ammo, six smoke bombs, two improvised explosive devices, a gas mask, two sets of National Armor Level 3A vests, two 200-channel portable programmable scanners with earpieces, sunglasses, gloves, wigs, ski masks, and a stopwatch, two spray cans of gray studio hair color, three different California automobile license plates, and a sum of $1,620. I'm thinking like just in regards to um, fuel efficiency, that's not really great to be driving around with all that weight. <laughs> well, no wonder they were driving so fast. That's a lot of bad guy stuff to have in your car. That's what I'm saying. Exactly. Like, <laughs> Jesus. They were charged, surprisingly, with conspiracy to commit robbery, mm. unlawful weapons activity, and carrying a loaded sidearm in a car. Yeah, you don't say. Imagine that that officer, eh? Like, just uh, just catching some speeders here. Yeah, what's in what your the truck? hell? <laughs> Holy crap. Phillips was sentenced to 99 days in jail, and Mazzarino got 71 days in jail, as well as 36 days of probation. So they got nothing. On July 14, 1995, the pair robbed a Brinks truck in L.A., injuring the driver and killing the 51-year-old security guard, Herman Cook. So now they were murderers as well. I don't. I never knew about these previous uh, robberies, and I, and it, so they, yeah, they they had murdered in the process before. Wow. Yep. On March 27, 1996, another Brinks truck took fire at an intersection but the occupants escaped relatively no worse for wear. I'm sure mentally pretty damaged, but yeah. On May 2nd, 1996, Phillips and Mazzarino robbed their first bank. It was the Bank of America branch in Van Nuys. They entered with automatic weapons and left eight minutes later with $755,048. Okay, well, that's a haul. I can see why they now thought they're the, the Three most quarters of a million dollars. Yeah. On May 31st, not even a month later, they hit another Bank of America and made off with $794,200. Holy shit. Okay, so they, they made like... Over a million uh, bucks. Yeah, over a million bucks in uh, under a, or just around a month, and yet... They still needed to continue, but I guess I, guess I can see why the, when they only got 300000 off the last one, they were thinking like, ah, this isn't yeah. much because they were used to more. This is my, I didn't know they had these, they were the successful previously. Yeah. Also in 1996, Emil's wife left him after he had a seizure. 
she took his son with her, and apparently he had nothing left to lose because next up was that fatal day for both of them in February of 1997. It's weird that she would leave him. I'm sure there was more than just a seizure. Oh, I'm sure. A lot of things changed about the way LAPD and other departments dealt with policing and weaponry after the shootout. Yeah. Cop cars were more heavily armored. Officers were permitted to carry heavier caliber weapons, and in some cases were assigned AR-15 rifles. Yeah. 18 of the responding officers from that day were awarded the Los Angeles Police Medal of Valor for their actions that day by President Bill Clinton. Yeah, well, I mean, this we hear a lot of negative things about officers, but this is really a, a testament to how great they really are out there. With what they had on that day, they did a pretty darn good job. It, it's incredible. It's incredible. Interestingly... In the safe house, investigators did find a copy of the film Heat. Mm, there we go. This contains one of the most prolonged and graphic bank robbery shootout scenes ever filmed. Yeah, yeah, well, that's a lot of comparisons between the two have been made for sure. Yeah, and when I think of Grand Theft Auto, yeah, uh, especially GTA V, yeah. the final heist is a big bank heist in Los Santos, which is Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah. And... It's four dudes who have to go into this bank and get out, shoot their way out of the bank and yeah. and take off into the sunset. But, you know, again, like, it's a video game. You don't, yeah. like, you, you can't think, and I get, I get that we're talking like 20 years between these two things, but still, like, you can't be thinking that I'm going to go in like this, bangity bang, shoot, really shoot, and everything's just going to go great. But some people do. Well, clearly, these guys thought yep. that, I mean... <sighs> I, I thought this was their first one, so I was thinking, like, ah, maybe they had a death wish, but because they had previously done a couple and so They we were, were very experienced bank robbers. Yeah, that they thought, like, they clearly weren't going into this, like, yeah, let's just die today. And especially the amount of uh, reconnaissance, like, they'd been uh, reconnoitering that particular bank for, like, three months prior. Really, eh? Yeah. Yeah, watching as the as the guards came and went, and money deliveries came and went. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So, but I think their previous two robberies that were so large, the Bank of America started to change their policies. That's the problem with the. They probably being a caused their own grief. Yeah. 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 Emil Mazzarino's family sued the LAPD and LA Fire Department, citing the fact that Emil had lay dying for forty five minutes before being attended to by emergency personnel. Uh, would I like to think that there should have been emergency personnel there quicker? Sure, but no. I mean, you're going to be concerned about other, are, are there more people? Or like, no, fuck him. His family said he was left there to die at, and that the police were deliberately indifferent to the deceased's serious medical needs. I mean, he'd been shot 29 times. Mm -hmm. And then police chief Bernard C. Parks said, I think it's a ludicrous allegation to believe that Los Angeles police officers allowed anyone to die. Yeah, you know who did? Those idiots for going in there shooting it. Like, if anybody is to blame for their for death, what happened that day, it, it is them. Yeah, it yeah. is them. I, I'm sorry if your shootout resulted in delays in medical attention. That that can tend to happen yeah. after a, a shootout. Cooler heads prevailed, and the suit was eventually dropped. Good. Police were concerned that these two were not the only gunmen on that day. Exactly. They didn't know what was going on for sure, so they had to make sure the area was secure before they let anybody into it. Exactly. And that's what they say led to the delay in medical attention for Mazzarino. And I think that's completely legit. Apparently, 
you can view the bodysuits the two were wearing in the L.A. Crime Museum uh, and see the car that they were driving as it's on display as well. Oh, man. I think I want to check that out the next Holy time. Holy crackers, do I ever. Yeah. Not to sound morbid, but it's just a fascinating yeah. piece of history. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. So check out our show notes on darkpatine.com for more information and links and photos about this case. Whew. What do you think of that one, Scott? Whoo, Nelly. Yeah. That was intense. It, it's just as intense as I remember watching it. I've recently watched uh, some things on it as well. It never ceases to blow me away. But it does remind me of the only thing close to it that I, I've seen is, I don't remember the name of the show. There's an Australian true crime show, and there was an Australian shootout, which had far more disastrous results a few dead officers but it was kind of they were coming to this individual's house who was a bit shifty and he uh so he was in his home hmm. and he, he he was just like i'm going i'm not no i'm not going yeah and a big shootout a big 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 shootout resulted in a residential neighborhood so it was pretty it was pretty That's intense crazy. just like like this but yeah shit these <laughs> This is, it's just so crazy. This whole thing, I remember watching it live as it was happening and just being like, what is, is this real? Yeah, it was pretty, pretty nuts. Yeah, man. Before we go, we want to give some shout outs to our new Patreon patrons. Okay. This week's good eggs are Lauren Cat from Vernon, BC. She's a new PM. Oh, Lauren, thank you so much. How about that? Another prime minister. That's right, Lauren Cat. Angela Elliott from West Point, Mississippi. Oh, hey, Angela. And I believe Lauren Cat, not to go, not to jump over Angela, but I believe Lauren Cat was the one in, in one of our live streams who said she never wins anything when talking about double-doubles. Oh, yeah, I think it was her. Yeah. yeah, so anyways. And yes, thank you, Angela Elliott. West Point. West Point. Isn't that the military? I think it uh, is. I don't know if it's in Mississippi, but it would make college sense. College or university, yeah. yeah. Julie Brown. Yep. Don't D- know where Julie's from. Downtown. Downtown Julie Brown. Exactly. Oh, okay. Yeah. She's a wrestler, correct? Uh, yes. Fair enough. Yes, yes. Professional wrestler mm-hmm. with the, um... Glow? Glow, yes. Oh, yes. Yes. Keep up the great wrestling, Julie. Jennifer Holly from North Battleford, Saskatchewan. Sounds like a really tough place. North <laughs> Battleford, Saskatchewan. And thanks, thanks, Jennifer. Uh, Mary Paris from Leiston, Maine. That's maybe the most French name I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. Marie Petty. Ellen Arden. Oh, hey, Ellen. Hey, how are you doing, Ellen? She, where's she from? Uh, um, oh, she's from Saskatoon, actually. What? Yeah, I know. We got two, two, uh, uh, Saskatchewan people here. Yeah, she's from Saskatoon. Yeah, and yeah. she is a- An animator. There you go. Yeah, she's an animator. She uh, created the Saskatoon Tune. It was a cartoon about Saskatoon. I can Google that, I yeah, guess. Yeah, Google it. It was great. Yeah. I loved it. Uh, Lindsay Stair? Yeah. Yep. Lindsay Stair. Yeah, uh, like this staircase kind of thing? No, no. More kind of I'm looking at you. No, but it's spelled stair. Like I know. Staircase. That's the irony in it. Where's she from, though? Uh, she's from Stairville, Ontario. But that's spelled like stare, like staring at you. I know, this was just also crazy. It's hard to believe it's all real. You're insane. Uh, clinically, yes. 
Catherine Cole from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Oh, one of my favorite uh, names for a city, Chattanooga. I like Chattanooga, the name Chattanooga, too. Thank you, Catherine. And then somebody just named Elizabeth. Hmm. And, I, and I think it's that Queen Elizabeth is listening. And... Uh, Oh, yes. She has decided to support the show. Because if you were going to do it, like, you would just be like, I'm Elizabeth. It's like Madonna, you know? Yeah. Like, if you get Madonna as a Patreon subscriber now, you'd, you, you'd be like, yeah, it's Madonna. So, Elizabeth, yes. Yes. Th- we thank you all. Uh, I think, um, I would hope your contribution is about 50000 a week. God save the queen. Yeah. <laughs> Charmaine Shives. Okay, yes. I think we went to school with her. Who? We did. I didn't go to school with you. I know, but that's what she she traveled every day. Oh, so she went to school in Nova Scotia and went to school in New West. Yeah, at different times, like, but at, she redid it. She did school oh, twice. Oh, she was traveling in her, her TARDIS. <laughs> yes, that's a Doctor Who. Right? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. No, that's that. exactly what she was doing, Mike. You got it. There you go. Yeah. Helen Napoli. Yeah. Hi, Helen. How are you doing? Haven't talked to you in a while. Yeah. I guess she's from Italy. She is from, from Napoli, Italy. Yeah. Yeah. Her, her, it was named after her. No, it was named after Napoleon, was it not? No. No, no. I don't know. No, no, not at all. Not at all. Napoli, Italy is named after her and she's only like uh, 21. So they recently named it after her. Okay. Yeah. Annie Whittle from Waterloo, Ontario. That's where my cousin Pete is from. He's the professor at Waterloo University. Oh, wow. Hey, thanks, Annie. Susie Giroux from Abbotsford, British Columbia. Hey, that's pretty close to us, Susie. Amanda Nanur. Okay. From Helsingborg, Sweden. Sounds great. Sounds great. Hi, Amanda. Also from Sweden and in Valda, Sweden, Hannah Grappenfeldt. Wow. Hey, Hannah. Thank you. That's a lot of Sweden happening. Yeah. Two Swedish people in uh, in a row there. Yeah. And um, But there's no one from Ornskelvik where the Sedins are from, so oh, we, we need to get some listeners there. So I'm telling you, my fa- two of my favorite Canucks ever, just because of how wonderful a human beings they are. We, it, on, on, they and, are good eggs. They're great eggs. And for like all of you uh, listening in Sweden, our hockey team has, has a history of having great Swedish hockey players. Marcus Nasland. Yeah, Oland. Mm, yeah, Matthias Oland. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we have we have a long history of great Swedish hockey players. Yeah, for sure. We now have Elias Peterson. Sure, I haven't been paying attention. I'll take oh, your word for it. He's somebody that everybody is talking about around the league. So, so I, knew, I heard about him at the beginning of the season. Is he still? Yeah, the, they're yeah. still talking about him. Oh, good, good. Thanks so much to our patrons past and present for your pledges. We really appreciate your support of the show. Boy, if you want to, yeah, if you want to help support the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash dark or for a one-time support, you can send us some donut money via PayPal at our email, dark at gmail.com. And we did get some donut money this week. Our, our good friend of our good sent some cash. Oh yeah. It was super awesome to meet her back back a little while ago, a few months ago. Yeah, here for the podcast festival. Yeah. And another longtime listener, Jackie Leonard, sent us some uh, donut money, and she's from Ireland. Oh, thank you, Jackie. Yeah. If you don't already, it would mean a lot to us if you subscribe to the show. I think there was something wrong with the feed earlier in the week because I didn't see the numbers doing what they usually do. Mm. So you might have to go back and refresh uh, your, your feed to get the show, but if... If you're not hearing this, then you wouldn't know. <laughs> um, 
You can easily find us on iTunes, Podcast, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, or wherever you get your on-demand audio. Check out our website, darkpatine.com, for show notes and other cool stuff. Give us a like or a follow on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search just search for Dark Poutine. Most importantly, tell your friends. Word of mouth is a powerful thing. And come to the Umber Yard. You know where it's at. That's right. Just search for Dark Poutine in groups on Facebook. Yep, come join us. Uh, it's full uh, of good eggs. It's full of good eggs if you're a little bit on the uh, uh, sensitive side in regards to dark humor. Not the place you want to be, but yeah. we, we try. We try to keep everything respectful. But sometimes, you know, some people may fight. It, it's a it's a podcast on murder. It's a group. It's you know, like it, yeah, exactly. It, things can get a bit dark, but man, such a great place. Come join us. There you go. After we recorded this show, I get an email from Adam Lemoyne, a friend of the show who lives in Glace Bay, Nova Scotia, and he wrote a song. For Scott and I. Scott's not here, so he can't react to it, but I'm sure he will next week on our show. Here's Adam's song, and it's called The Poutine Love Ballad. Thank you, Adam, for that uh, inspiring song. So until next week, don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple. Bye-bye, everybody. Guten Tag.